Scott, back for another week of Casey Greats. I am very fortunate this week to have a really interesting guy here with me that's got his fingers in pretty much every piece of pie there is out in Kansas City. Uh, Jake Jacobson. Jake? Hello, how are you doing? You. I'm great. Thanks Good. for being on, man. You've yeah. got uh, a lot of unique to bring to us today. Well, it was funny because when we were chatting before, um, the idea of storytelling is near and dear to my heart, and especially when it wraps around Kansas City. So I'm happy to be here and uh, kind of shoot the breeze for a little while. Well, cool, man. So... How did you uh, get to love Kansas City so much? Did you grow up here? Are you a native? Or what? You know, I did not. I grew up in Iowa, um, and so did uh, small town central Iowa. Went to Iowa State, uh, did my undergrad and uh, my master's work there. And I had come down here for an internship at Farmland Foods uh, where I was doing youth leadership conferences. Cool. Um, I volunteered at it for three years, and then I was one of the coordinating interns um, my last year of, of college and just fell in love with, uh, Kansas city. I was also at the time, I mean, a rabid Iowa state cyclones fan, which means <laughs> that we all migrate down here for the big 12 back then, even the big yeah, eight tournament. Yeah. Um, and so everything I knew about Kansas city was within walking distance of Westport. And yet that was still a, an awfully good, uh, introduction to Kansas city. Um, uh, just seemed like the right size. And so when I finished up my, my bat or my master's work, I already knew I was going to be coming down here. Had a place on the plaza already picked out with a friend of mine who lived down here um, even before I had a job. And then was very fortunate to get a job in the sports department at the Kansas City Star. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so that was my my first job here in Kansas City, which was a great way to learn a lot about the city. Um, but I will say that the hours, um, I was there for seven years, and my hours were always night side, yeah. um, nights, holidays, weekends, because a lot of people don't think about it, you know, like, when we would go into work um, on Christmas Day, you know, they'd be like, oh, that's too bad. You have to work on Christmas Day. It's like, do you get a paper on the day after? You know, and yeah, so... somebody's got to make it. Exactly. And so it was a, a great experience. I worked in sports for four years during the very lean years of Kansas City sports. So I, remember, I still remember designing the first 100-loss season cover for the Royals and literally counting 100 L's. Oh, um, so in... To contrast that with a World Series parade from a couple of years ago, uh, I will take the World Series parade anytime over 100 <laughs> lost cover. Um, but no, and then the last three years that I was there, I moved down to the newsroom uh, where I was in charge of the copy desk, which those are the people who read all the stories, fact check them all, write the headlines, um, kind of put the paper together once all those stories are in place. Um, I always said I was the one kind of in charge when the important people went home. And uh, which, again, it was a man, what a great way to learn everything that's going on in the city. No kidding. You probably saw every kind of saw every story. angle. But the downside was I wasn't experiencing them, you know, and so I was experiencing them through our great reporters. But I wasn't actually going out into all these different things. And so it was kind of like um, a bit of a voyeuristic way to learn about Kansas City. Um, and yet I also was you know, I loved being part of that, um, the chronicling of those stories. But I also started realizing that I wasn't, I mean, I was surrounded by all these great journalists, um, best reporters I've ever worked with, but I was always more the pitch man. Like I kind of wanted to be out there telling the stories, but not necessarily reporting on them. Okay. And so I enjoyed taking their great work and packaging it up and making it something that people would want to read the next day. Um, I can get on board with that. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it was even a good self-awareness thing where I realized that I was not the world's best editor reporter, but man, I love their work. And so um, after about seven years of that, I was working um, pretty awful hours, actually. And my wife, who worked for 13 years at the Star, 
Um, Jocelyn was always more of the news person than I was. Like she bled News Inc., whereas I wanted to pitch the heck out of it. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't seeing each other. Our schedules were completely staggered and it wasn't a good way to be a young professional, newly married, um, especially in a, in a vibrant town where you're not able to experience it. And so, um, right about that time, I noticed that Garmin, the GPS company that's headquartered right here in Kansas city Metro, um, was looking for someone to do PR for their growing outdoor and fitness areas. And so this is running, hiking, biking, um, all things that I loved doing. And and this is, Probably early 2000s. Yes, 2007. Yep. Okay. Yep. Right when they were really making a push up. Right? Really taking off. Yeah, everybody okay. knew them for their automotive devices, but um, hardcore runners and hardcore cyclists knew that they had this really cool thing that could tell you how far, how fast, could even route you back to where you started. Um, amazing technology, but at the time, I mean, it, it seemed like it was pretty exclusive. It's only for, like, top-level runners. Huh. And so what they wanted to do was really want to get in and let people know, if you're training for your five, first 5K, this could be a big help. Um, and so I, I grabbed that job and just ran with it and loved it. Um, and so really enjoyed seeing the growth of that. Now you think about it, and Garmin is better known for its watches even than some of the in-car navigation. And so yeah. they really have embraced that fitness lifestyle, and it's fun to see that grow um, so for six years I was at Garmin and, you know, kind of watched all of the social media channels blossom. And so kind of got to be in on the, the ground level of that. And that to me was fun because we were talking directly to those customers. And so we were hearing how people were using it for whether it was a PR and a marathon or their first 5k, you could really see how these products were helping people live more, uh, fulfilled lives. And so loved that. Um, and then about six years in there, I was really getting involved with the community. And so this was mm-hmm. a way where I was starting to do more with nonprofits, both for work and also outside of work, um, getting to getting to see how Kansas City, because right about now, we're talking, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, um, downtown is taking off. It's really, right when things were really blowing up as far as... Exactly. Even before the, the, the World Series run, right. the, the Civic Pride was coming back. Yeah, Google Fiber. Um, yeah the Performing Arts Center, all these different things are happening. And um, I think I wanted to be just a little bit more immersed in telling all of Kansas City stories. And so about that time, uh, Children's Mercy had just made huge national headlines for their genome center um, because what used to take weeks or months to sequence a baby's DNA to solve medical mysteries, our genome team was able to do it in 50 hours. And so for these critically ill newborns, yeah, I mean, you don't have time is the biggest um, obstacle at that point. And here they shaved this time down to where they could find out um, these medical mysteries in two days. And um, so Children's Mercy was on, you know, the cover of uh, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Time Magazine named it one of the big 10 medical breakthroughs of uh, 2012. And suddenly they needed someone to help tell these stories. And what I still love is that they took a chance on a guy with no healthcare background um, and just realized that if you're going to tell these stories in a really meaningful way to just normal readers and normal viewers, you need to go with something that does not have a healthcare background. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think that's probably part of why it's a great fit is being able to relay a pretty complex story. Very complex, yeah. To essentially a layman's view. Yep. 
That's important. Yep, and so I get to be kind of the insider layman, you know, and so... That's good. Oh, I I work with these ridiculously smart medical experts, and the great thing is they're used to already doing this in layman's terms because they're talking to kids, you know, they're talking to families. Yeah, I mean, bedside manner, you know, we always... Yeah, we always say there aren't a lot of jerks in pediatrics because you have to be able to get on the same level as these kids, be able to talk to really stressed out families, um, and be able to make it uh, in a very comfortable, um, approachable way. And so right there, yeah, I already am lucky that I work with doctors who are used to telling these complex stories in simpler terms. And so what I do is I get to be the dumbest one in the room, and I get to sit there and take all of this information and kind of be that filter for the public. Um, so I've been doing this going on four years now, um, and it has expanded as well to where I started off just focusing on that national media, specifically around the Genome Center, because these were such huge stories. And in my first couple of months, I was able to get uh, Bloomberg News here. Popular Science came here and did a nice, it was a six-page spread. Four pages of it was all about Children's Mercy. That's and really good. Yeah, and that's a, it was interesting because that was a magazine that I had worked with in my former life in consumer tech. But See, to, for Garmin, yeah, that would be a great time. Right, yeah. exactly. And so I had really great uh, contacts there. And when we were talking about this um, conversion of uh, you've got healthcare and high tech, it's a slam dunk story. And so that's what I see a lot is the innovation driving the story. And I think when I was interviewing at Children's Mercy, one of the things that really stood out to me, and it was funny because it took me saying it to realize how passionate I was about it, um, but I realized that whatever organization that I am promoting, whatever brand I am representing, I want it to be as much about building up Kansas City's brand as it was about building up yeah. the brand that I represent. And Children's Mercy is, I mean, the, the sweet spot for it because you, you want to be able to tell them that this is not only Kansas City's children's mm-hmm. hospital, but, I mean, we are the children's hospital for all of Kansas, for most of Missouri, yeah. um, the only one between St. Louis and Denver. And so you're talking to a pretty it's big, a big, region, pretty big right region and I always said, no one's going to believe this genome center. I mean, we were the first children's hospital to have a genome center built into it. And now genomics is really taking off. No one's going to believe that that started in Kansas City if you think we're a cow town. You know, yeah, if, if you don't think that we're an innovative entrepreneurial hub, if I'm talking to a national reporter who looks down on Kansas City, they're not going to want to come here and report that story. Well, and so many of the major media outlets are, I mean... Yeah, there's some based in uh, Omaha, but right. for the most part, we're talking coasts. Mm-hmm. And like New York not, and San Francisco, yes. It's still considered, you know, flyover country yes. and things like that. Yes. So, especially on something so thought leading as the genomics, yep. to take that out to the world, that had to be an interesting evolution. As it you was. started with yes. that story and yes. now, you know, bring it. To expand into not just Children's Mercy, but the right. whole city. And that's what was fun about it was, and again, the great thing is, over the last five years or so, I've been able to make a lot of good friends at different organizations around town. And so I know that when I am about to bring this Bloomberg News reporter in, then I'm telling my friends, Derek and Carolyn over at Visit KC, I'm like, hey, we've got a national reporter coming for this. And what should I make sure that I should point out? You know, and yeah, so exactly. we're more than in... just the story they're there for. They're exactly. going to want not just background, but they're yep. going to want to to make it more robust. Yeah, I mean, we hosted a um, national conference on genomic medicine. We had experts from 
Boston, from San Francisco, from those coasts, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was great because I told my buddy Justin out at the airport. And so then KCI airport Twitter account welcomes them to town, you know, and just doing things like that where you realize we're all trying to build Kansas City's brand. You know, no matter what area you're in, no matter what niche of it you're promoting specifically, we all do better if Kansas City looks better. You know, I think that hits on something that we've seen the last few years that's always been there, yep. that, that we're seeing as more of a benefit. I mean, we're talking a metro, close to two million yep. here, but there's still a small town feel and, yep. a, and a, a, God love it, a Midwest attitude, you right. know, where everybody's out to help. Yep. It's not necessarily always competitive. You know, it's not cutthroat. Right. Everybody gets it. One thing that hit home for me was, so in 2012, I was able to go with the Kansas City Chamber, uh, takes a lot of local leadership to different cities every every mm-hmm. year to learn from them. And um, I was part of the Centurions program, which was okay. really my... That up. Yeah, that one. yeah. My <laughs> The Centurions program was essentially everything that kick-started all of my civic involvement. Because as okay. soon as I... Uh, it's a two-year leadership program where you the focus is learn, serve, lead. And so you are learning about the city, but you're also finding out ways to give back. And in doing so, grooming the next generation of leaders uh, for the community. And we did everything from listening to Mayor James talk to us several times over the course of those two years to going and um, serving food to the homeless where they live through Project Uplift. So, yeah. I mean, you celebrate the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you try to figure out how to make them all better. Um, and so through Centurions, I was able to go on this leadership exchange trip through the chamber down to Austin, you know, and we have, you know, if you look at what a great parallel, oh for my Kansas gosh, City. I yeah. don't think a lot of people know that. Right. And if you think about that convergence of innovation, entrepreneurialism, arts and talent, oh, absolutely. So you've got Seattle from the two thousands, nineties, even, you know, yeah. kind of nineties, late, late nineties, early two thousands. You've got Austin late two thousands. Um, into 2010 or so is yep. really when they blew up. And now Kansas City has all of these factors, but how do we how do we embrace it? How do we celebrate it? And I think that was a big focus. And one thing, when you talked about how we're in it together, even if we're fighting for the same talent, um, there was a guy, Matt Condon, brought up a great point of, we aren't fighting each other. We're fighting the coasts. We're fighting the mountains. You Absolutely. Know? And so what we've seen lately and whether it's the tech council for KC or KCADC or the chamber, they're bringing Sprint, Cerner, Garmin, all of those together and saying, let's work together to bring tech talent to Kansas City. Once they're here, hey, it's gloves off. You know, you can you can fight for them once exactly. they're here, but we don't want to lose them to Silicon Valley. We don't want to lose them to the East Coast. Let's get them here. Let's work together. Get them here on the collective um, strength of Kansas City. And then what a great... You know, now you've just deepened your talent pool Absolutely. instead of just sliding people around. And that's that's one of the things that I had talked with. I think it was Eric Wolschlager about yeah, it, yep. Live KC. Yep, he where, gets that. Where they're selling to millennials because his, I, I think it was him that said it, his best uh, kind of quote that he brought up, yep. his best point is, we don't have a retention problem. Right. Once people get here, yep. they're sticking around, yep. you know. They realize how good it is. And I can I can compare. I lived in Austin for about five years, yep. right in the meat of that, from like 98 yep. to 2003. So you know. yeah. yep. And we still feel even a little bit earlier than that. Yes. We're, we're, there's a long ways to go. We've got amazing things. It is still getting better. Yeah. But when you're talking about size and amenities and the, the same type of city, yeah, it is very similar. And that's exciting because 
they did grow their national image to yep. something from completely unknown to really being an arts and a tech hub in America. Well, and it's funny because I think for a while we kind of embraced the Midwest humility of we don't like to beat our chest. Yeah. We don't like to tell people how great we are. True. You know, there's the, the classic um, line, and I, I've heard several people say it, but... Um, if Kansas City was on Lake Superior, we would call it Lake Pretty Good, you know, because we just don't want to offend anybody with our arrogance. Oh, that's and, I that. and I think about four or five years ago, I would walk even in Kansas City Airport and not see any Kansas City branding. And now my wife and I last year uh, went to Hawaii and I saw Charlie Hustle KC Hart shirts in Maui, nice. you know. And so, you know, I've got a lot of friends who, you know, I kind of do the same thing. If I'm traveling and I'm going to be in LaGuardia or O'Hare, or I'm going to be in any of these big mm-hmm. airports, I'm repping Kansas City, my Kansas City Marathon shirt, you know. And, and people are recognizing yeah. I mean, you've got stuff that's been created like um, Daniel Baldwin, yep. uh, Baldwin Denim and the yep. hats yep. and stuff. People recognize these yes. things. Yes, yeah. And I think that's one, well, especially, again, during the Royals' amazing yeah. World Series runs, like I'd be wearing my Royals hat in a random airport and people walking by and give me a fist pump and give nice. me a shout, you know. And so I think it's that embracing it and saying, you know, it's all right to be proud of this. And it's all right to celebrate mm-hmm. it. Um, one of the lessons that came back from that leadership trip was we were talking about how we have Visit KC, which at the time was focused primarily on bringing people here. You know, then you've got KCADC, which is trying to bring businesses here. Mm-hmm. And you've got the Chamber, which is focused on helping businesses grow but you mentioned earlier the 2 million people who already call this home. How do we empower them to become cheerleaders? Because, you know, and we all realized there isn't that group that is focused on building internal um, engagement within Kansas City. You know, every company in town has internal communications or internal engagement, and we don't have it. You know, and so, and it's not, and it's not only on the mayor's office. I mean, Mayor James does an amazing job, but you also have to embrace Overland Park. And so, you know, all of Johnson County. And so what we found was that there's been this organic shift where now even Visit KC talks about how they now split their audience and they realize that half of the people that follow them on social are locals that are looking for something fun to do on a weekend. And so you're not just talking about tourism. You know, that may be what pays the bills, but you were talking about making all of Kansas City do, you know, our little staycations. I mean, that's become a a deal now. Mm Um, I have a you know a lot of friends who live kind of farther out suburbs. To them, coming downtown is a big deal, and I love it. You know, they they treat it like a great date night, and it's like that's that's awesome. And you it know, be. yeah. And so I think that idea of all of us realizing that wherever you're at, um, you can play a part in Kansas City success story and telling Kansas City success story. Um, again, it goes back to we kicked off talking about storytelling, yeah. and we have a lot of really really good ones. And then you realize you've got guys like Eric Berry on the Chiefs and Danny Duffy on the Royals. They're really embrace Who embrace this city, embrace the small nonprofits, embrace the big nonprofits, and want to be here. I mean, Danny could have held out for a lot more money, but he made it clear he wanted to be here, you know. That's and, pretty cool. Yeah. You know? And so and he's somebody that's coming from, again, coming from the coast. Yep. You know, he's a, he's a SoCal boy. Yep. So that's and yet that this says is home. a lot. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's where... It makes it easy to get excited about all this stuff. That's cool, man. Well, we've already packed in a ton. So, yeah. um, where does it bring? Sorry, you to... I get fired up no, and then I go, I go all soapboxing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, a good show to me right. is much, much less me talking okay. or you right. talking. So it's perfect. But where does it bring you now with Children's Mercy? What yeah. are the big things that 
that are going on that, that you're excited about that maybe we aren't hearing about as sure. much? Sure. So there's a, a um, like I said, when I first started, it was all kind of genomics. Mm-hmm. But we're also so far from being that one-trick pony. You know, I mean, our cancer center is one of the biggest among children's hospitals in the country. And every year with Big Slick, we always hear about oh, you know, that's right. that's, Paul Rudd, Jason Sudeikis, yeah. Rob Riggle, David Koechner, Eric Stone Street, bringing all of their Hollywood friends and they raise more than a million dollars in a weekend. And those guys, you want to talk about Kansas City Pride. I mean, every time I see those guys on any national talk show. They've got something on. They're wearing Kansas City. You know, they are also, um, I'll sit there listening to them on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And they're sitting there talking about Big Slick, even if it's two months away. You know, and so it's not just something where they come in and they have to remind themselves why they're here. Instead, they're often reminding everybody else why they come home. And then they even tell us that all of their celebrity friends that come here will just talk about how they never realized this much was happening in Kansas City. Brilliant. And then you get guys like Johnny Knoxville who comes back every year. Uh, James <laughs> Marsden comes back every year. You know, And these guys um, realize that this is special. And not just Children's Mercy, but that Children's Mercy is this welcome mat for all of Kansas City. Um, we also, and this is something that I've been working a lot on the last year, we have, and it's heart month, so it's perfect timing. Um, we have an app that we developed. Um, I say we, it's the smarter people at the hospital developed it. <laughs> but it uh, yeah, and so there is a condition called HLHS, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, mm-hmm. where babies yeah. are born with essentially half a heart. Mm-hmm. And um, they need three surgeries, usually before they turn three years old. And the, the surgeries themselves are relatively routine, again, relatively being the key word. But in between those surgeries, uh, it's called the interstage, and those babies are ridiculously fragile. And so they're sent home, um, and the parents would monitor them and take all these vitals and put it pen and paper. And if they saw something that was an anomaly, they would call up our nurses and say, hey, this looks out out of whack. Should I come in? Or they would drive the three hours to Children's Mm -hmm. Mercy because, like we talked about earlier, we're seeing kids three, four, five hours away. Sometimes one of two things would happen. One, a family would see an anomaly, make the drive to Children's Mercy, only to find out everything's fine. False positive. Well, that stinks because now you just, you know, spent seven hours stressing out. Or families would assume it's okay because it's just a couple numbers off. And we were losing... One out of five of these kids um, between surgeries. Horrible. You know, and... um, This seems ripe for a tech solution. Right. I mean, it really does. And so our heart center team developed the CHAMP app. So we use a Microsoft Surface tablet, and it's a purpose-built, so it's not like just something you can download from, Uh from, uh, from online app store or anything like that. So it is something where using the tablet and using uh, interconnectivity... They're able to still log all those things. You know, it's got a scale, it's got a pulse oximeter. But the most important part they found is a 15-second video every day. So we're essentially getting to see the kid every day. So, and, exactly. And You're all, talking distance med. Exactly. It's and, fantastic. yeah, all of those stats and vitals are fed into the cloud. And when they're fed in, we know the parameters to trigger a red flag. Sure. And so there are times where there's a family that I've gotten to know very, very well Little Winston just turned three, actually, last weekend. And I've gotten to know the family over the last three years. And they talk about some of those times where they would see some of those outlier numbers and be wondering if they should make the trip. 
right then their phone rings because our nurses call them and say, hey, we're looking at this. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you're seeing with his breathing, what you're seeing mm -hmm. with this? And so suddenly everybody's notified. Or if it is enough of an outlier, get in here now. Yeah. And the video they credit for saving Winston's life because there was a video where he just wasn't happy. You know, and like, and Winston is the happiest little guy ever. Um, I joke that he's not only my little buddy, but he's going to be my intern in 19 years. Um, but they just noticed he wasn't happy, and they they realized so they came in and had a procedure the next day. And so, all of those things we lost went from losing one out of five of these babies in the two and a half years now since we've rolled out the Champ program, we've lost zero. So, I mean, that is... That's enormous. I mean, you're thinking about saving a kindergarten class, you know, and so um, it's phenomenal results. We have strengthened our connection with Microsoft. Uh, they have helped tell our story. We have now rolled it out to Seattle Children's, and they've seen um, similar results. We're rolling it out to other children's hospitals. And this isn't a profit thing for us. As soon as we realized how powerful this, this was, is right thing. we want to get it into other children's hospitals. And so... Um, we're going to be at a couple big conferences later this month, which again, it's perfect because it's heart month. Um, but I mean, for us, that's a big national news story. And again, this all started here in Kansas city, you know, Somebody and so, had an idea. yeah. And I think that for me, the fun part, and we did this also through our documentary series, uh, inside pediatrics, which if you haven't watched it inside pediatrics.com, um, we, it was a prime time documentary series that aired on KNBC. And we followed all these different families, and Winston's family was one of them. What I loved about that was I have no shortage of people who tell me they love Children's Mercy. And we are blessed to have uh, that kind of advocacy in the community. You're not the one that needs but, to hear it, though. Right. Yeah. And also, <laughs> what I find is that they love us, and they don't even know what we do. You know, like, they don't know that we did this CHAMP app. They don't know that we do genomics. Right. They love us because we are their child's asthma or flu doctor. Well, Hey, I can tell you from personal experience, when my daughter was five, she was at my folks' farm yep. up in North Missouri, <laughs> took a little header on a sled mm -hmm. into a steel pole, Oh, cracked a little skull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, thankfully, everything came out wonderful, but she had to take a ride down to here and spend a, a night or two in children's. And yep. Yeah, it was a great experience. Yep. Just it, it really was good for the situation. Yeah. No, and that's what... <laughs> Nobody wants to No, and I always say, like, when I bump into friends at the hospital that aren't supposed to be there, yeah. you know, my first... I get that rock in my gut where I'm like, oh, no, you know. It's happened. Yeah, and then... Um, but everybody just tells me, it's like, we don't want to be there, but when we are, we're so glad that Children's Mercy is there. So what I like to do is tell these stories so that people who only think of us as asthma, flu, routine checkup... Sure. Um, they realize that, for one thing, we have 8,000 employees, which people don't realize. And all of those, all we do is focus on kids. You know, so there's... That's huge. Yeah. That's I, one of the largest employers in town. Right, right. I think we're top five. <laughs> and it was funny because when I went from this big global tech brand to a local children's non-hospital, non-profit even, I was like, oh, I'm going to this nice little cute little, <laughs> you know. And then I realized there's 8,000 of us. You know what I mean? Even just the number of... Um, pediatric subspecialists, so the doctors themselves, uh, more than 700. We have a couple thousand nurses. You know, it's like every part of it, and it's all focused on your kids. Well, I, can, and, I can tell you the, the reach of it goes international in many ways. I yeah. had a friend that, um, that trained and then worked at Children's uh, as a pediatrician for several years, and now he's actually in Kenya for wow. several years. Yeah. Well, and we have, um, we train a lot of fellows in third world countries 
and it's our team leading that up, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, it's, it's phenomenal. And what's really fun about it is, um, you know, we went to a, a Microsoft conference and we showed Winston's story and the, the app, wow. the champ app story. And this woman from the international team came up to me afterwards. She goes, she goes, oh, yeah, children's mercy. You, you save the babies. I'm like, well, I don't. Whoa. But yeah, then I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I do. No, uh, but no, but like all of these international teams were recognizing children's mercy for being oh, wow. not only a national leader, but an international leader. That's amazing. And you talk about proudest day to work. You know, I mean, like yeah. that, that's a, a pretty cool deal. So anytime that I can go out, we joke that my title is essentially storyteller in chief, but like, if I can go out and tell those stories and people realize I didn't even know that and I already loved Children's Mercy, now now I want to love it even more. And I didn't realize when I started that, you know, Children's Mercy was founded 120 years ago, you know, and so you think about it and it was all started with the idea that every child deserves the best care regardless of your ability to pay. So when you look at some of, you know, other places you could go, mm-hmm. If it is a complex enough situation, they're going to be sent to Children's Mercy. If it is a situation where insurance doesn't make it profitable for some people to take care of them, we're going to take care of them. You know, and I was just talking to a a Johnson County uh, government official yesterday, and he said that that struck him like a bolt of lightning where he was like, he goes, yeah, he had a, you know, a youngster in his family who was, it was such a complex situation that they were shipped our way anyway. He's like, we should have just started there, you know, and and I said, hey, we are so glad that we can be there when you need us. Um, now, ideally, we start working on healthy outcomes and everything to where we'll be there even before you need us, you know, like sure. as things like obesity or uh, violence in the homes, you know, gun violence. Yeah. If we can do education and if we can stop them from even coming, I mean, I think we're probably, yeah, I think we're probably like a lot of healthcare professionals where we would love to go out of business because there's no business, you know? And I I work with, yeah, the MS Society, the Arthritis Foundation, my friends at the Heart Association, and all of them say the best thing would be if they had to shut their doors because there was nothing left to take care of. Yeah, um, I think we're a long, long ways away from that. But until then, knowing that all these organizations and that they all have such a strength in Kansas City and that we all work well together. Yeah, the collaboration is neat. And it's so... It's obviously, there's a lot of reward in doing it. Yeah. Obviously. I always, and this probably isn't the easiest, but I always wonder, it's got to be very difficult. When it's not a happy ending? When it's not a happy ending. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, the first time that really hit me like a ton of bricks was um, I'd been working with a family that was working with our experimental cellular therapy to, um, you almost re- you reprogram your DNA to attack the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And it's this amazing breakthrough in care and working with a family. And we we're just getting ready to start sharing that story when I found out that he'd passed away. And it broke my heart. Um, and I think I was only, at, I'd only been in the hospital for a few months at the time. Yeah. And then I realized in talking to the family that while they were all in mourning, Certainly. they were also realizing that what they had learned would help other kids. And there's a family right now that I'm working closely with um, who, again, didn't have a happy ending. Um, A lot of people a couple years ago fell in love with Noah Wilson, little Mm six-year-old guy. Um, He was going through all of his cancer treatment, and he always was bummed out because all we had were, quote, boring brown (laughs) Band-Aids. And so he decided at six years old that he wanted to start his own 
nonprofit by gathering up colorful band-aids for fellow patients to take home, uh, for people to use at Ronald McDonald House or at Operation Breakthrough. Um, and so he started collecting those. And when I met Noah, um, he is dropping off boxes and boxes, hundreds of boxes of colorful band-aids. And then everybody heard about it because the story got out. Um, I was sitting with them. Uh, it was during the 2014 World Series run. And he uh, he had some friends and family members who were trying to raise money to go to the World Series because he's a huge, huge Royals fan. <laughs> and um, like he would do the player introductions from his bed during oh, that playoff run. Wow. Suddenly, Joe Torre from Major League Baseball tweets out and says, keep the money for college, Noah. You're going to the World Series with me. And then the Royals fell in love with him. Danny Duffy and Eric Hosmer, um, we talked about them earlier, about being these great community champions. Sure. They fell in love with the Wilson family. Um, unfortunately, the next year, um, a, a relapse got him. And so we lost Noah uh, about a year ago. But the family said, this has got to be a way to honor Noah's legacy. I was going to say, and, he's he's left something and... In, in... It's it, there's a horrible sadness there. Yes. obviously he's energized the community, and to think that a six year old had this idea and energized the community um, to where now they have donated thousands of colorful band boxes of colorful band aids, and last year they even donated a one hundred thousand dollar grant to Children's Mercy for pediatric cancer research, and they have started their own uh, charity, Noah's Bandage Project, and just to see the momentum. And everything is done in the spirit of Noah and the excitement and the positivity uh, that he brought to every interaction. And so, obviously, I got to know the family well through all of our time at the hospital. But recently, um, Scott, Noah's dad, asked me if I would be uh, part of their Dancing with Stars. And so there's (laughs) another great nonprofit, uh, the BMA Foundation, which was started in honor of Brian Anselmo, another Local guy uh, passed away, I think it was age 28. Um, So another son taken too soon, you know. And so when the Wilson family asked if I would dance in honor of Noah, in support of Noah's Bandage Project, (laughs) as part of the BMA Foundation, you can't say no, you know. I mean, you've got a huge dancing background, right? Of of course, yeah, exactly. (laughs) A lot of of wedding receptions that um, apparently uh, they don't quite translate to ballroom dancing. Uh, so no, this summer I will be dancing a full-on ballroom routine, thanks to my amazingly patient coach, Joan, um, and we'll be doing that at the Overland Park Convention Center on June 10th in front of about 1,200 people. Fantastic. And um, the really cool thing is BMA Foundation identifies not only eight dancers, um, or in my case, air quotes around dancer, <laughs> but uh, but they also identify smaller nonprofits to help out because... Noah's Bandage Project has done a lot of cool events. They do a 5K, they do a gala, but nothing of the size and scope of this. Yeah. Well, if BMA can be the umbrella to bring all of them in, then they're going to help them out and then disperse the money to them. So, um, yeah, my goal, and I have I've done a lot through Bike MS, Ronald McDonald House, raising $2,000 here and there. But my goal for this is to raise $30,000 to support not only BMA Foundation, but Noah's Bandage Project and wow. Cancer Research. Um, so I'm planning a bunch of events. Um, Very if you, cool. If Let's... you follow me on Twitter at Jake's Journal, I will. I am, a, I am a shameless PR hack about getting these events out there <laughs> because I realize literally every dollar we bring in is going to help pediatric cancer. Um, and it's going to help these two families, nonprofits, continue to grow and get the message out there. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a fun six months. I go back and forth between optimism and fear, both on the <laughs> fundraising and on the dancing. Um, I think right now, Joan has taught me 45 seconds of our three minutes of choreography, and I feel both very accomplished in that 45 seconds and then scared that I know that I'm only a fourth of the way through. Um, so it, yeah, so it'll be fun. And going back to Children's Mercy, what I love is that I can picture a lot of situations where working for a nonprofit, being involved with other nonprofits would be seen as, quote, competition. No, that's not it. Though. Right. And it's the Kansas City spirit of when I'm helping out Noah's Bandage Project, we are helping kids fight cancer. When I am riding bike MS, I mean, I met the teen who was uh, the MS Society's Teen of the Year uh, scholarship recipient. They were diagnosed at Children's Mercy. You know, Boys and Girls Club, we do a ton with Children's Mercy. You know, and so... Yeah. When people wonder why I enjoy getting involved with so many different nonprofits around town, um, especially because, I mean, I don't have kids, and yet on any given day, I have 350 of them over at the hospital. <laughs> uh, but every one of those um, areas, Arthritis Foundation, I emcee their Art for Arthritis, because the 12 kids who are creating art with mentor artists around town, like Scribe or John Bucati, they're creating this art. Those are all Children's Mercy patients. And when I look out at the gala, those tables are all populated with Children's Mercy families and doctors. And so right there, it's such a natural relationship that I, I kind of get to be the, the Switzerland of nonprofits because Children's <laughs> yeah. Mercy, it connects them all. Say there's a lot of reach outside. Absolutely. Not just the organization, yep. you know, but, but into all these different areas that yeah. interact. Yeah, so instead of worrying about you know, who's donating to where and are you conflicting with someone else? It really is that idea of all of these organizations are all working together to make a, a better younger generation of kids, you know? And again, if, you know, there's enough bad news out there that if we can focus on helping these kids be happy and healthy, then that's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool feeling. Well, the funny thing is even going back to Noah's story, there's yeah. a huge, huge, simple lesson in there that somebody might miss for either a nonprofit need or for all of our all of our folks here that love the startup and the entrepreneur yep. world, he saw a need. Yep. He met it. Yep. It's that simple. And he made it simple to tell the story. Yeah. Now granted I'm a storyteller so I embellish. But no, but I mean he just <laughs> said he goes he said, donate colorful band aids. And suddenly they just come flooding in. Done. You know, there was a time where so we have a, a child life team at ho at the hospital that focuses on making every Kids stay there as positive as possible. Yeah. Because again, these are you don't want to be there. No, you know, I but mean, when, there's going to be negative things happening because. But, but when you're there, the we want to have you know, bingo and pets nights. You know, and the superheroes visit and the you know the stormtroopers. Next week we have the Casey Ballet coming. You know, oh. and so yeah, and so we want to make that, and that's what our child life team does. And there was one time where I was getting ready to go on because I do a, a fair amount of national speaking. I was about to go tell Children's Mercy's story in front of this group of communications professionals, and I get a, a note from one of our child life teammates that says, we are out of crayons, which is an odd note. To, like, only in my job do you get a note like that, but yet... You guys are a stone's throw from... Right. From Hallmark, from right. Hallmark. From Crayola, absolutely, yeah. And and they are, and Hallmark... Like huge supporters, I'm yeah, sure. And I'm even doing something with them next week where because they worked with... Uh, Visit KC, the Sports Commission, to bring the USA Skating Finals. Yeah. Um, so Hallmark and we are teaming up to bring those skaters to the kids. You know, and Very so cool. so yeah, Hallmark is an amazing neighbor, amazing community. I mean, 
our campus is the Adele Hall campus, you know. Uh, but it was. But what you don't realize is we go through a hundred boxes of crayons a day. Oh my gosh! When you think about all the different waiting rooms and clinics and um, playrooms, so I get that note, and so I added a slide to my um, my presentation and said, "Well, I tweeted it out first of all, you know, and then." Within, I think, a day, we had been shared 750 times. People were saying, hey, everybody, let's get crayons over to Children's Mercy. And suddenly we were flooded with them. You know, in fact, somebody that sat in on that presentation the next day uh, drop shipped $50 worth of crayons through Amazon just because they were like, <laughs> if this is how I can help, then we can help. You know, but give somebody a, a very concrete way to help and they'll figure out how to help. You know, uh, Ronald McDonald House, where I do a lot of volunteering because, again, those are our families staying right. there. You know, just yesterday I saw a tweet go out. They are out of paper towels. You know how many, I mean, they have around 90 families who use the Ron McDonald House facilities uh, between the three houses in our family room. They need paper towels. Wow. And so we tweeted that out through the Red Shoe Society, which is a, a professional group that helps out Ron McDonald House. And friends start shooting me notes. You know, my buddy Ryan shoots me a note and says, hey, I just had uh, a bunch delivered from Amazon. And... These are the same people you could tell every day, Ronald McDonald House needs money. Children's Mercy needs money. And right. every day you're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm sure it does. I know it does. Yeah. But also I might not write a check. You tell me to drop off coffee filters? You know, you tell me to drop off uh, kitchen garbage bags at Ronald mm -hmm. McDonald House? Well, Costco is literally an, a mile away. Stop by uh, Costco, grab some garbage bags, drop them off, and you just help you know, makes a difference. 50 days worth of trash. Yeah. yeah. So it's a need anyway. So yeah, but you, you hit it exactly. Noah decided we need band-aids and everybody rallies and gets band-aids. But then as a nice side effect of that, people who love that story, but live far away and don't, you know, don't want to ship band-aids mm -hmm. can give money, you know? And so right. it really is. And I think that's a lesson for all nonprofits. Find out how people want to give and what they want to give and how they can solve your problems instead of trying to tell them what to do. And so I think that's where you see the best success is where nonprofits listen to the community and are part of the community because then the community feels like they're being heard and being appreciated as opposed to just, you know, being spammed for money. Right. That's that's tough at, at, at any level. And it it's interesting as you tell the story from the business side of things in the PR world, you've kind of been there with, especially with Garmin and now with Children's Mercy on the evolution of social media and PR. Mm -hmm. How has that, you know, in your time there, how has that changed? Because it's such a powerful tool when you have the right audience yes. listening to yeah. you, yep. not just willy nilly, but it's, it's a great point. So like what I have seen, and this is what I love is the, community building through social media. Mm -hmm. And so I always, I, I try to tell people when I'm kind of coaching them a little bit, because I help small businesses, other nonprofits try to build up their social. And it's mostly just me rambling like this. But, um, <laughs> but what I think of with Children's Mercy is that I want our social media voice to be inviting, to be excited, uh, to be welcoming, but also to have that blend of, I'm teaching you about what we do, but I'm not beating my chest saying, we are amazing because we do this. So we celebrate the families first. We celebrate our doctors, you know, um, our partnerships. You know, we just did a pediatric robotic surgery using a Da Vinci robot. We worked with KU 
and this is a minimally invasive surgery. Um, the recovery time is shrunk remarkably. And in that, rather than, you know, kind of boasting and saying how awesome we are, I talked about how awesome is this for Kansas City that by us and KU working together that we can offer this up. You know, we just had a, a big announcement where through $10 million, because again, money is important, through $10 sure, million dollars in, there, but... in philanthropic gifts, we've been able to create four new positions that will help Kansas uh, University of Kansas Cancer Center and our cancer center yeah. work together, yeah, and um, really become the world-leading cancer research hub. And we couldn't do that on our own. KU couldn't do that on their own. But working See, together... That collaboration of resources across a lot of lines. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and so that's where I've really seen, especially, yeah, over the last 10 years of, of social, where for a little while it was just conversation. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly all the sales and marketing folks got a hold of it. And they're like, wait, we can just blast people with, you know, sign up for this, offer this, you know, sweepstakes, sweepstakes. <laughs> and... I always want to be the idea of, I want to educate you. I want to invite you to be a part of the community. And then that way, and it, it helps from a PR perspective, because if you have a bad day, everybody's there to cheer for you. You know, but if yeah. all you've done is spam people, then they, they're they not as supportive. Well, and I so think that, I think that really hits on the key of how, how the organizations can use it effectively yep. is because you do then have an audience that's listening. Yes. And to me, you see a lot of a lot of people that will have maybe tons of Twitter followers, thousands yep. and thousands. Is it really an audience, though? Right. Uh, I I would contest that it's not because they're not listening. Yeah, there are a couple. You know? Yeah, I've I've seen it happen several times where somebody might have a million followers on Facebook, and they get thirty or forty likes on their posts. Well, then you've got a pretty hollow audience. You know, right. I mean, like you've got the number there as a good vanity it measure, really exist. but it doesn't exist. We have, and I am, again, beyond blessed, and I knock on wood every time I say this, but our Facebook page has 60,000 fans. Now, that's a pretty small number when you're thinking as far mm -hmm. as a, a consumerish brand. Um, but we don't have 60,000 likes. We have 60,000 loves. And people, like, love our stuff. And so we routinely see hundreds of likes and great comments because we're posting a picture of a successful heart surgery three years out. And then everybody pours in and says, I love Dr. O'Brien. Oh, I love the Heart Center. I love Dr. Shirali. You know, and everybody, right. it's a celebration. You it know, is. instead of, we, we let them be a part of the conversation well, instead of just being on the receiving end of us pushing strategic yeah. messaging down And simply throat. on a return aspect, that engagement is creating a top of mind. Yep. Plain and simple. And when, when it is needed, it'll be there. Yeah. They'll remember it. Well, so. and we even saw it a couple summers ago. And it, again, it's engagement, but it's also education because a couple summers ago, one of our surgeons said to us, we had seen as many lawnmower accidents in by June 1st as we had the entire year before. So this is wow. when dad is out there putting toddler on his lap on the riding lawnmower and something bad happens. Mm. Or when toddler thinks that lawnmower is a fun tool and gets a little too close. Now, keep in mind, these are all 100%-able 100% preventable. preventable accidents because you keep the kids away from the lawnmower. <laughs> and yet, just as I was getting ready to pitch that to the media about how important the story was, we had another one. Mm. And so I just said, I, I can't wait for this to be a pitch. 
So we posted it on social and said, this is scary. This is what you have to do to keep your kids safe. It was shared a thousand times in the next day or two. And it had 200 likes, you know, which is kind of an odd thing to like, but also just like people bookmarking it. But a thousand people shared it because they realized how important it was. And as a result, news stations came and asked us to do the story. Good Morning America featured us about how we not only are educating parents, but how we're using social media to get the story out there. And as a result, then it dropped off, you know, and so I think it doesn't always have to be. We have countless adorable kids and we have facility dogs that everyone loves and that do amazing work. But it's not about just kids and puppies. It really is teaching people and educating them about what we do and how they can be better caregivers at home. And once we do that, everybody wins. And so if that's how I use social media, then I, I could do it all day long. Very cool, man. Well, Jake, you've given us tons of amazing yeah, stuff, this, man. This was fun. <laughs> I really appreciate it because this is exactly the drive for me of getting getting this out there is to just go deeper into these things about yeah. Kansas City. So thank you, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. But now we've got the good part. Okay. All the right. hard part. Yes. So I always love to hear people's favorites, what yes. I call their hidden gems. Yes. And that could be anything, man, that, that you think everybody should know about. And I'm sure you don't have it. Yeah, no, not at all. My my thing is, I always assume that I'm I'm late to the game, so I assume my hidden gems are well known. Um, one thing okay. is, we have one of the best trail networks. Um, whether it's on the Kansas side or the Missouri side, the Indian Creek and Tomahawk Creek trails. Um, I mean, I have done bike commutes on those sixteen miles and only had to cross one one street of traffic. You know, okay. and yeah, and so um, one of my favorite things to know when spring is coming or when fall is lingering is going out on those trails and getting a ride or a run in. And you'll be amazed at how you'll see people, um, not only neighbors of the trail, but people who will travel to those trails or loose park is a great example, just getting outside. And, uh, we have so many things to enjoy around Kansas city. So I'd say get outside for a ride or a run, um, on those trails or at, at loose park. We have, ridiculous barbecue as everybody knows <laughs> yes. and even when i'm emceeing the kansas city marathon a way that i kind of break the ice and also you know there's a bit of time where you line up before you start the race and i always start the barbecue debate and i love it because you can see these people who have never met each other and they're suddenly in a very passionate conversation <laughs> um but no like when i brought that bloomberg reporter here we did lunch at Jack Stack, which is perfect for bringing people from out of town, yeah. especially because it's right there it's very traditional in the heart of downtown. But then we went to uh, to BB's for dinner, oh, where we're having yeah. plastic cups and paper napkins. That's the and, real deal right there. Yeah, having it's a, one of my favorites. Yes, having a, a cold beer and a plastic cup while you're listening to live jazz. We were just like, this is all right, you know? Yes. And what I loved it was, here was this reporter from Boston who looked the most relaxed I'd seen him all day, and just because he was kicked back. Um so explore, I mean, there's obviously kind of the, the Mount Rushmore of Kansas City Barbecue, but explore the others. Um, there's every mom and pop shop is is as delicious as the next. Um, one thing that I like to do, and this will be a, a little bit of a plug because it's a hidden gem that's not quite open yet, but some friends of mine are opening up a bike shop slash cafe slash bar. Uh, it's called Spokes, uh, just like spokes on a bike. And it's going to be at 12th and Washington, right there by HNTB, right by Kansas City Southern, right by the convention center. Um, and it's going to have delicious coffee, very uh, decadent, melty sandwiches, but also some healthy options. And the cool thing about it is there's a full service bike shop built in because all of us that love to ride, 
you know, you try to, you ride so that you can refuel. Exactly. You know, and so you want to exactly. go have a, a awesome grilled cheese and a craft beer. Um, oh, that's and a great so, idea. Yeah, so it's called Spokes. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. But as soon as we shared this, we just saw people come out of the woodwork with how great of an idea it is, um, whether they work around there and they, they long for a good cup of coffee mm-hmm. or they, you know, if they're going to have a four o'clock meeting that might involve a drink, they have to get in a car right now. And so instead it's going to be, we think of it as the first stop into downtown and last stop out, you know? And, sure. um, so yeah, check out spokes. We're going to have some fun with that, but well, that, yeah. that too helps move forward our, our livable downtown Yep. where yep. we've, I wouldn't say we've struggled, but that's been on the, the growth yep. and walkable, bikeable, and having the resources for those things is a big deal too. So, well, or even if they're, they're building 500 apartments right around there and all those, you know, so many of those will have bikes, but if right now they have to throw their bike in the back of their car to drive to a bike shop to get it fixed, or you can, you know, go two blocks, have a beer while somebody's fixing your bike. Yeah. And it's going to be one of these where you don't have to know the last 10 Tour de France winners to be comfortable there. You don't have to be a coffee snob or a beer junkie. You know, like, just have to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, we joke that our, the tagline should be regu- regulars wanted because we just want people to come in and chill, whether you're in a suit or whether you're in spandex. Well, and, and, and if somebody does commute, you know, yes. commute in, in the morning, maybe drop off for yep. a, a tune-up, yep. go to work, come back. And it's done. Yeah, it, yeah. So why well, I'm excited about that, but there's so many cool small businesses around town. Um, pop in, you know, walk around. I think what you said yeah. about downtown, it used to not be walkable. It used to not be uh, snackable. You know, you had mm-hmm. to literally come in because you were going to have a, a dinner at Blue Stem and then you head back out. And instead, now you can park, you can take a streetcar, check it all out, um, support local. Uh, yeah, I, I love it all. Now I'm going to have to listen to all the other podcasts to get everybody else's hidden gems. So, yeah. There's some good ones on or, there. Or if I'm missing out on them, tweet me at Jake's Journal to tell me, and I'll, I'll share hidden gems you know, with everybody else. I, just just last week, a friend of mine mentioned um, uh, an ice cream shop that's, that is down in, uh, I think, the Brookside area called okay. Betty Ray's. Oh, sure. That yep. I hadn't heard about. Yep. But I'm waiting now for March for them to open right, up exactly. again so I can go try it. Yes. So then, so once you all try all those new places, then you have to go ride to burn it off. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm going to need to for yes. sure. But well, Jake, those are great ones. This has been a fantastic show. I really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're busy with everything. Yeah, going no, this on. was fun, man. But uh, absolutely, looking forward to uh, seeing everything that you're talking about come to fruition and following Children's Mercy all a right. little closer. Well, thank you for sharing Kansas City stories. All right, man. Have a great day. Thanks. think Jake has a passion for what he does and for our city? How exciting is it to hear someone that's so fired up about the things they're working on, especially when those are mostly charitable activities that benefit all of us here? Great job, Jake, and thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this, do me a favor and look up the recommendations that Jake made today and the causes that he mentioned and support them. can only help. doesn't matter how big. Also, if you're liking what you hear on the podcast, do me a favor and share it with a friend. Maybe subscribe through iTunes and uh, give us a review. It'll help more people find the show. Thanks again for listening to Casey Greats. I'll see you next time.